welcome back to week four, How Trauma Rewrites Us. This is the fourth episode in this series, How Trauma Rewrites Us. And that's all we've been talking about in the month of August. On Mondays, we have the podcast go live at 5 a.m. And on Friday, 7 p.m. on Instagram live, I'll be there to take your questions. My name is Elizabeth Akunli and I am your therapist. On this podcast, I attempt... I'll call it an attempt. <laughs> I attempt to take your questions, to teach you some of the things I know, take my professional knowledge and break it down to simple tips you can understand and run with and also help you understand where you are in your healing journey, what you need to do to move forward. So what we did last week was that we spoke about how trauma impacts your parenting style and we went a step further to take live questions on Instagram. Beyond that, we went a step further to give a free ebook to parents and will be parents on the team avoiding traumatic parenting. As a matter of fact, we have done an avoiding traumatic parenting series, but it was important that we talked about how trauma impacts our parenting so that now we have the energy to want to avoid traumatic parenting. Okay, so that was all we did last week. The week before we had manifestations of trauma and the first week we had what is trauma and how does it rewrite you? Okay, so now that you've been brought up to speed, let's delve into today's topic, sexual trauma. I do a lot of people were looking forward to sexual trauma because I mean there's been a lot of campaign around sexual trauma from GBV campaigns to hashtag me too on Twitter to all forms of campaign about sexual health and traumas sexual abuse rape in particular rape has had the spotlight when it comes to sexual trauma and I felt it was important to introduce us to other aspects of sexual trauma and some of us are going to realize that as parents as adults we've been guilty of not just sexually traumatizing ourselves or our friends but other people and especially kids around us because i know i'm also talking to an audience of people i'm also talking to an audience who are presently parenting or will be parenting in the next five years and so it's important that you are geared up and prepared for your parenting journey at least express consult in this season our goal is to help victims of trauma experience sexual pleasure as well as people who are addicted right now and so in doing these we must also address where you are in your life you are at a place where relationship is an open option and um, alongside relationships some people are contemplating settling down and having kids and so if you are doing that then this series absolutely has your name and son name on it so sit down and let's delve in today i'm going to do something i usually would not do i usually would pick a word and look for the dictionary meaning like you've noticed but today i wanted us to look at a few things from the legal perspective especially for my listeners in nigeria i wanted to use the nigerian constitution so what i'm doing is i'm going to be reading a few paraphrases from a legal platform i'm not reading from the constitution directly but you're going to get the gist when we begin now, sexual trauma, like we explained what trauma was. Traumas are deeply distressing, disturbing experiences. And so for sexual trauma, I just added sexual to the distress men. So sexual traumas are deeply distressing or disturbing sexual experiences. Sex is pleasurable. Don't you dare let anybody tell you otherwise. You might be afraid of sex. You might have been raped. You might be scared. You might be uncertain what's going to happen when intercourse happens to you. Because I mean, some people have called the penis. I've heard people call the penis all sorts of name from prick to nail to whatever man people have just oh god the penis are so hot 
penis and suffering in this life. But I mean, it's not just the penis, the vagina as well. I've had people call the vaginas all sorts of things. I remembered studying on the vagina one time and I had this big book of vagina in my hand. It was like 400 pages, A4 sheets. And as I was reading, some people were looking at me like I was mad because I was going about with that book everywhere that period. I was just really sitting through it. It was during the COVID, so it wasn't like I was moving around a lot. But I mean, everybody who heard me talk about the book was looking at me like I was mad. Why would you be reading about the vagina? The vagina is even embarrassing. The vagina is even embarrassing for ladies who have vaginas to talk about. That's how critical this conversation is. Okay, so what has happened is because of the stigma around our sexual organs, many of us are even uncomfortable having conversations around sex let alone enjoying sex. But sex is pleasurable. And so for it to be disturbing or distressing means something is not right. So let me give you a funny example. Everybody likes ice cream. At least everybody except me. Everybody likes ice cream. Everywhere I go to and you say ice cream, everybody is happy. They have like this really big smile. I use ice cream as an example a lot, which is very funny for someone who doesn't take ice cream. When everybody is smiley and they are gooey, uh, all I can think of is my teeth. I don't have sensitive teeth. I think I've just trained them over the years to not take cold stuff. I don't do cold water. I don't, yeah, I don't like it. I just don't like it. It makes no, I don't get the benefits of drinking cold water or drinking anything cold. Okay. I might be able to do like a few things cold, but certainly not ice cream. Ice cream is worse. I mean, the reason I can talk about ice cream and not be excited is because I can point at a level of discomfort I'm going to experience my teeth. They're going to be uncomfortable because I don't expose them. I don't expose them to cold stuff, right? So maybe my teeth have become sensitive by practice. It's not like I had sensitive teeth and then I stopped doing these things. No, I always didn't do them and then my teeth caught up with my habits. So if I start doing cold stuff, my teeth will be fine, right? Now, when it comes to sexual pleasure, the same thing happens. For sex to become disturbing and distressing, it means there is a level of disturbance, distress that was caused about the topic, about the conversation. Okay, so one of the few things, okay, let me streamline to two core things that can make sex disturbing and distressing. One, consent, the presence or the lack of consent. I mean, that's the difference between any sexual experience. That's what changes rape from sex, or what some people call making love. That's what differentiates coercion from acknowledgement from someone agreeing to do something getting coerced is different i'm going to get into that conversation consent is a big conversation consent is huge consent is what is causing what people are calling marital rape there's been the argument as to can i rape my wife is it possible that my husband rapes me it's just a conversation of consent and I remembered Lisa Express Consult did a teaching last year where we said, say yes with your chest. No, it's not a podcast episode. It's on our blog, www.lisaexpress.com. Go check it out. Say yes with your chest. Because if you don't know how to say yes, when you say no, nobody's going to listen to you. If you don't have the nerve to say yes, and then you're always giving signs. Because now you're rainy season. You're giving us signs and changing weather so that we can know you're in the mood. The day you are not in the mood, we are also going to hope that when we give you enough sign, you will align. I know that's um, being sarcastic with something that is painful, but the fact is, consent is huge. And so you have to be able to give consent and give it with audacity. Consent is not something you mumble. Consent is not something you assume. Consent is not something you hope for. Consent is not something you hope you can convince the person to give. 
Because if you convince them and tomorrow they say you coerce them, they will almost be right. As a matter of fact, they will be technically right. Because what you called convincing them will most times be manipulating them. I'm coming on strong on someone already. I remember one time where we had this overflow from sexuality code and someone was asking if her boyfriend raped her, if it was a big deal. That her, you know, someone was explaining that her boyfriend raped her and asking if it was a big deal. It was a big deal. But she couldn't push on the case because she felt, well, he's my boyfriend and I went to his house. That you are in his house is not the same thing as consent. As a matter of fact, some experts argue that even after your pants are down, you should still confirm that consent is there. That after foreplay has come and gone, you should still confirm consent. Yes, it's crazy and you are so hot and you're not in the mood to ask because you are afraid they will withdraw consent and that's a problem. If you're afraid your partner will withdraw consent, it means a part of you knows that they're not down for it. And if you know and you're doing it, then you're taking advantage of them. So what is consent? Consent is simply saying yes, agreeing to something. So consent is to agree to something. And if they don't consent, it means they're saying no. How do you get consent? Consent, again, is not an assumption. They have to open their mouths. They have to open their mouths. If they cannot open their mouths, give them a pen and a paper. I'm serious now. I am being very serious. Don't assume consent. Ask for it. Let them give you a direct yes. A yes you can refer back to. That you can say, remember when and you said... Don't assume because they made eyes at you or they battered their lashes or they took out their clothes. Ask. Always ask. If they cannot say yes, then assume it's a no. If they cannot say yes, if they don't have the nerve to say yes, if they don't have the boldness to make a decision and stand by it, I don't even think you should be in that position in the first place. Now, I'm talking to you like you are the person who needs to ask consent. Now, let's delve into the topic like you are the one who didn't get consent from. Right. How long is the yes available for? And the yes, the yes is continuous. Consent yes is continuous. I just looked into my journal and realized I wrote that question down. The consent yes is continuous. Okay, so for example, you ask a lady, can I kiss you? And she says yes. She didn't say yes, you can fondle me. Guys, those are two different conversations. Oh, I cannot snap. I forgot that part. Okay, but can I kiss you is different from can I touch you? Because a kiss is just a kiss, man. It ends on the lips. Don't go anywhere else. Don't move your hands. That's a kiss. That's what you asked for, right? If you're going to go a step further, you might want to ask them, can I continue? I know I'm sounding very formal right now. And it's not that formal, but I mean, ask it. Be deliberate about asking it. And even if you are the lady, don't assume uh, because he's always in the mood. He's always in the mood does not mean you should use it against him. It doesn't mean you should manipulate him. It doesn't mean, oh, because he's always in the mood. So you can jump on him. It doesn't matter that he's always in the mood. Ask him. He might be, <laughs> he might be in the mood, but not be emotionally ready for you. He might be physically, I mean, he, you can always get him to physically respond, but it doesn't mean he's emotionally in the state of mind for you. It doesn't mean he's ready. He could be thinking of other things. Consent will mean asking before intercourse, after foreplay. Are you down? Let them say yes. And they might be down for penetration and not be down for you ejaculating inside them. That's another conversation entirely. We've had young ladies talk about wanting to abort a pregnancy because they didn't have plans to get pregnant. He said he was going to withdraw. He said he had his condom on. Blah, blah, blah. Those are consent conversations. Because if both of you did not want a child, if you had both agreed that, oh, we don't want to get pregnant, but we want to do skin to skin, then you both would have done 
tests to make sure that that person was not infected, you both would have considered contraceptives. You would have exhausted all your contraceptive options before you start saying, oh, you want to go skin to skin. They might have said yes to penetration, but they meant penetration with condoms, not without it. So ask, always ask, because if you don't, you could traumatize this person sexually. This person can traumatize you sexually. And so whether you are the man or the woman, please ask. Whether you are the one they want to have sex with or you are the one that wants to have sex with someone, please ask. Don't assume he has condoms. Ask him. Ladies, don't assume. Don't assume your partner is on contraceptives. Don't assume they are. Ask them. Are you on your contraceptive? What kind? I don't really trust that type. I usually would want to try out extra of this. When last did you do a test? Can I see your test result? Those are valid questions. Before you go and traumatize yourself, you sleep and wake up one day and realize you have a sexually transmitted infection. And now every time you come around sex, you're afraid. Those problems would have been averted if you had simply sorted out consent correctly. All right. Now, so let's move on to number two. Number two reason sex that is supposed to be pleasurable will be disturbing and distressing is inappropriate information and parents are on this table. Nigerian parents are on this table and they're on it really strong right now. Yeah, I'm going to come for you all over the world, but let me speak to my Nigerians here. Age classification is a real deal. I'm privileged to know someone who works at the Nigerian Films and Video Censors Board. And I've heard her say things like, they come to vet movies, they bring certain movies to them. After they put an age stamp on it, they go and add extra scenes that were not part of the original verification until they had to start putting in techniques and mechanisms to prevent people from doing that. Parents, there's a reason why the movie you're about to watch says, in fact, some even go as far as telling you what to expect in the movie. They tell you that the movie is going to be sexual. They tell you the movie has violence. They tell you the movie has nudity. They tell you the movie has strong language. But you will go ahead and leave your four-year-old kid to watch the penis entering the vagina. And I told you I'm not going to cut down. That's why I'm blocking out young people here. You allow your four-year-old, your six-year-old, your seven-year-old to consume that kind of information. And then you are pissed that your child is a pornography addict at 13. Excuse me, you raised the pornography addict. Because you expose them to information that was older than them. You expose them to sexually high information. You sexually traumatized your kids. And the result of their trauma that they are unable to cope with is the addiction they now have. Because you gave them a need. You built a need in them that they did not yet need. You Okay, that's too much need in one sentence. But I mean, you get what I mean. It's the fact that you've created an appetite in them and given them a certain level of chemical overdose that they should not be receiving. Your brain is your primary sexual organ. And so when you expose a young kid to that level of hormone activity, they are not supposed to be in that phase yet. There's a reason why their body biologically waits for puberty. There are a lot of things kids know about sex because of information, but there's a reason their body waits for puberty. At puberty, even if you don't tell them, their body tells them, their body teaches them. The body is a storyteller. That should be the next series after this, if I'm not mistaken. Your body is a storyteller. Your body will tell them, their bodies will tell them stuff. But now what you're doing is you've jump-started a process they should not be in by exposing them to information that is older than them. And now this brings me to the international audience. Netflix without control is not for your kids. There's a reason why the sentence, let us Netflix and chill, exists. I mean, on Netflix, there is a lot. There are a lot of sexual content on Netflix. And so the last thing I want to do is give the Netflix remote to an 11-year-old. Except you know how to activate parental control. But if you don't activate parental control, that is not a platform your child should be on. 
And that's why I am pretty skeptical about digital education. I am open to digital education. I am very vast with digital. I have a degree in education. And so I understand the impact of digital media on kids and education. But alongside it comes an exposure to excessive sexual content that their age belongs, that their age should be consuming. So this is something you want to watch out for because information that is higher than your age will traumatize you. Information that you should not be consuming will traumatize you. Some of you have problems with conflict because you saw older people resolve conflict in a way that made you fear conflict. That information, watching two adults fight with bottle and break their head, kids have murdered their parents, murdered one or both of their parents because they couldn't stand the excessive conflict between both parties. And so in an attempt to stop the conflict, one child that hurts the mom or hurts the dad because they were trying to stop the conflict, that's because you've exposed them to more conflict than they should be exposed to at their age. I mean, kids fight over biscuits and stuff, not, not about who is cheating, not about who's in the strip club, not about who has what gun with what bullets. That's not what kids are supposed to be having conversations around. And so excessive information is traumatizing. Even for you as an adult, excessive information is traumatizing. In fact, there is a way they expose you as an adult to information that you did not imagine you will come around. That it paralyzes you. They tell you, oh, expose yourself to people who are better than you professionally to inspire you. But there is a margin you will step into that your first reaction will be shock and paralysis. And it will take you a while to adjust into the environment. For example, let's say you make a million dollars and you're proud that you make a million dollars. And then you walk into the room and the lowest income in the room is say $500 million. The shock might have you feeling like I don't even belong in this room. That's because that was an information overload. That's the same thing you're doing to your kids. Secondly, inappropriate information can be the format in which the information was delivered. So you send sexual content to someone as video. One time I had had a conversation with someone and I said, oh, I work with people who are sexual traumas and blah, blah, blah. And then this person sends me porn videos, child porn. I was so sad I couldn't get his full name on his tag because I would have reported it. As a matter of fact, I did report him, but I did not know his son name. Sent me child porn videos, sent me pornography videos. I think he must have thought I used to traffic people abroad because that was what the content he sent to me looked like. And then he asked me, do you have more interesting videos? And I just could not believe myself that a uniformed officer will think that child porn is an interesting video. That is traumatic. Watching that video could indirectly traumatize me. Remember direct and indirect trauma. It could indirectly traumatize me because now I'm wondering, is someone going to do this to my kids? How am I going to prevent this from happening to my kids? The fear of it alone will not let me leave my kids with someone. I did not experience it. I merely watched it. So what that man would have successfully done is that he would have successfully traumatized me had I not had defense mechanisms in place to preserve my mind and protect myself from that kind of information. All right, sex education. Sexual misinformation should even be this, not sex education. Last year, we did a survey asking our clients, what did your parents tell you about sex? And a particular lady said to me that her mom said a man is a stone and the lady is an egg. If the stone falls on the egg, it will break. That is scary. That's a scary way to introduce a child to sex because that lady would grow up afraid of men because, I mean, she doesn't want to be broken. Who wants to be broken? I want to be delicate egg men. I want to be well taken care of, right? And so now this person is going to have a fear response to sex and you're wondering why they are a certain age and they are not dating or not. They meet someone they really like and three years into the marriage, they still have issues with their sex life. Obviously, they will have issues with their sex life because they've been afraid of sex for 20 whole years. Sexual misinformation is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Many times we feel we're doing 
we need to preserve the person but what we don't understand is that we're sexually traumatizing them because a trauma affects your possibility to enjoy something if community traumatizes you you're afraid to enjoy community if they expose you to sexual misinformation what that does is that by the time you have the opportunity to experience good sex you are already traumatized sexually i said today that i'm not going to talk about sexual trauma in terms of just intercourse and just rape i wanted to make us see the tiny ways we sexually traumatize each other okay movies i already spoke about that x-rated movies sex charts sex charts so this one time, oh God, I have a lot of stories around this conversation. I mean, that's my job one was first my experience and then my education. Um, I had reached out to this modeling industry and modeling person, modeling coach or so that, oh, I would like to model with your business and blah, blah, blah. And the first thing he sent to me was a penis. Yep. And I thought he was crazy and he had done it with just me. It turns out he did it to my friend as well. Three years later, yeah. I had gone on my old Twitter account and noticed someone had left a message for me. Apparently, I reached out to him on Twitter and on WhatsApp. It was on WhatsApp he sent me the penis picture. And then on Twitter, three years later, I signed into this old account. And then I saw the message and, oh, let me respond to this person. And I sent the person my WhatsApp message. I think he dropped his number. I can't remember the detail, but I know I reconnected on WhatsApp. Like, hey, I blocked him the first time. So I didn't even recognize this number. I changed my phone. I don't know whether it gets unblocked or he changed his line and he sent me a number, whatever. We ended up connecting on WhatsApp again, like, oh, hey, I noticed your message on Twitter, your modeling, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't mind having this conversation after three years. And he sent me a penis picture again. Yes. See, what just happened has the capacity to make me afraid of connecting with strangers online. So if there was a possibility I could have met someone that would have turned into a great relationship, this person has messed it up for me by simply sending me sexual content without my consent. Again, consent, guys. Consent is key. Um, unsolicited sexual favors. Don't come to my house and strip naked and say, oh, because you were good to me yesterday, I'm going to say thank you to it with my nakedness. Please dress up and get out of my house. Okay. Um, rape, coercion, blackmail, abuse of power. This is where I come to the legal area. We're rounding up. Don't worry. I promise you. I promise you I wasn't going to overwhelm you. And that's what I'm trying to do. So under the criminal code in Nigeria that is functional in Southern states, it states that Rape is when any person has sexual intercourse with a woman or girl. So according to these laws, men cannot be raped, even though we know that is not correct in regular everyday life. But I mean, according to the law. So let's delve into the law, what the law says. Rape is when any person has sexual intercourse with a woman or girl without her consent or incorrectly obtained consent. So it's possible that you obtain consent incorrectly. Consent obtained incorrectly can be force, threat, intimidation, and fraudulent representation as to the nature of act by a person in impersonating a married woman's husband in order to have sex with her according to the penal code rape is when a man has sexual intercourse with a woman against her will without her consent and with incorrectly obtained consent i'm talking about sexual traumas here so you understand if you've been a victim of rape because some people have been victims of rape and sexual assaults but they do not know quickly let me put a caveat that so you understand Sexual assault is similar to rape but is not rape. Sexual assault is any form of sexual contact or behavior that occurs without the explicit consent of the recipient. By the way, these responses are coming from lawparty.com so you might want to check them out on Google. Lawparty.com, free advert. <laughs> 
Okay, um, criminal code. Criminal code says rape is when a man has sexual intercourse with a woman or girl without her consent or with incorrectly obtained consent. Consent can be incorrectly obtained when it is obtained by first, by force, impersonation, threat or intimidation of any kind by means of false and fraudulent representation as to the nature of the act. Violence against persons, prohibition act, VAPA. VAPA says, defines rape as when a person intentionally penetrates the vagina, anus or mouth. I like this expanded definition because many times when we think of rape, we think of rape as just intercourse. So let's look at the VAPA definition. Defines rape as when a person intentionally penetrates the vagina, anus or mouth of another person with any other part of his or her body or anything else without consent. So what that means is if you finger a child, you finger a person without their consent, those are all sexually traumatic experiences if you don't have their consent. We've had people get this virgin by someone else's finger. So I'm trying to say that your pain is valid. I'm trying to say that some of the things you're saying was not a big deal. were actually big deals. Someone ruptured your vagina. They didn't do it with your penis. They did it with your finger. And you did not consent to it. It was still a sexual assault. And you might still be responding to that trauma till now. Your life might still be led in the direction of that trauma until you break that circle. That might be manifesting as an addiction or something else. And I'm going to do justice to the questions you have on Instagram Live on Friday at 7 p.m. The Child Rights Act... Am I done? Okay, let me finish with VAPA. Penetrates the vagina, anus, or mouth of another person with any other part of his or her body or anything else without consent or with incorrectly obtained consent. Again, consent. And the Child Rights Act finally says, sex with a child is rape. And anyone who has sexual intercourse with a child is liable to imprisonment for life upon conviction. So you can't go have sex with a 13-year-old and tell me they gave you consent. They don't understand the implication of that decision. They don't. An 8-year-old, regardless of how sassy or how quickly puberty began for them, and you say that you claim they have breasts and they have big bum bum and he was seductive, or I've had someone actually say to me that he was sorry the girl was young, but by the time he thought of the things the girl was doing to him in the bedroom. I'm like, first of all, the reason that girl knows all of those things it's because she's been exposed to more information than she should be exposed to. Perhaps an abuse, perhaps excessive visual sexual content on TV. Yes, she might have a high sex drive, but the high sex drive was directed by something. Something gave it direction. Something educated it further. You can have an intuition, but something educates it further. It becomes stronger. And so the fact that this child, this boy or this girl is very sexually educated at their underaged life. <laughs> they are younger than the age of consent. is not an excuse for you to have sex with them. You could be contributing to their sexual traumas. They could be having sex with you as an overflow from their sexual trauma. I hope I've been able to help you understand how trauma rewrites you, especially today, sexual trauma. So what we're going to talk about on Instagram Live on Friday is how sexual trauma rewrites you. I know I've spoken generally about trauma how trauma rewrites you, manifestations of trauma. So this week we're talking about sexual trauma. So what I will do as a bonus is I'm going to be talking about how sexual trauma rewrites us on Friday. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friend, set your alarm, 7 p.m. Instagram live. All you need to do is search for Lisa Express Consult. Go to our website at www.lisaexpress.com forward slash podcast for all the other episodes I recommended during this episode today. Until Friday, see ya. Bye.